Now is the time to accelerate innovation. T-Mobile for Business is powering Formula One Las Vegas Grand Prix operations and epic fan experiences with secure, reliable 5G connectivity. Because an event this big and this fast deserves a network that can set the pace. See what our 5G advanced network solutions can do for your business at T-Mobile.com slash now. View 5G device coverage and access details at T-Mobile.com. Introducing the first ever Grand Highlander, a mid-sized SUV with the ideal combination of space, performance, style, and advanced tech. The roomy Grand Highlander boasts three spacious rows with available seating for up to eight. It's available 362 horsepower. Hybrid Max powertrain on limited and platinum trims delivers the power, acceleration, and efficiency so your family can take on any adventure. There's even a standard digital key, a panoramic view mirror, and a 12.3-inch multimedia touchscreen so you always arrive on time. Live life grander in the first-ever Toyota Grand Highlander. Learn more at toyota.com slash Grand Highlander. And now, Move the Sticks with Daniel Jeremiah and Bucky Brooks. Live from Las Vegas. I guess. Why not? I've always wanted to say that. Welcome to Move the Sticks. <laughs> What's up, everybody? Great to be here with you. Rhett Lewis and Bucky Brooks with uh, DJ Off and Mobile working through senior bowl practices. Uh, Bucky and I with a chance here with a break from the East West Shrine Bowl practice routine to bring you a little podcast that will be East West uh, kind of preview centric as the game comes to you Thursday night on NFL Network at 830 Eastern time. Certainly looking forward uh, to that. We got a great crew uh, back here for the second straight year. Uh, Myself and Bucky, along with Cynthia Freeland and Mike Gam, all here in Vegas getting ready for the Shrine Bowl. So we're going to have that coming up. We'll talk about the quarterbacks at the game, some of the standouts, and then some under the radar guys that um, might be available for teams uh, down the stretch. And who's the next Brock Purdy who comes from the Shrine Bowl and finds his way onto an NFL roster and has a big impact. But first, Buck, big news, man. We got some coaching vacancies filling up here, my friend. Uh, Frank Reich was the first to fall in Carolina, and now we have the Broncos making big moves with the Texans also uh, with a reunion on the way. Uh, what are your thoughts on Sean Payton first to Denver? You know, it's, 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 it's funny because, like, you thought Sean Payton wanted in, and then it appeared that maybe he was going to sit out and wait uh, for the carousel to spend next year and maybe get the job that he wanted. But, you know, for the Denver Broncos, they tried to go after other candidates. It didn't work out. And so Sean Payton was the fallback. Now, he's a very expensive backup plan when you think about the draft capital that they had to surrender to bring him over. But he might be exactly what they need at this time. An experienced coach, he's won a Super Bowl. He walks in the door. He has an instant credibility with all the players there. He has the ability to, I believe, coach uh, Russell Wilson with a heavy hand because he has pulse on the wall, having dealt with Drew Brees. Uh, Russell Wilson has kind of talked about being a Drew Brees-like player. Well, who better to coach him than someone who coached Drew Brees? And so we'll soon find out for Russell if he's up the snuff in terms of transitioning as a twilight quarterback and in, in modeling his game after Drew Brees, or if it's done for him based on what we saw last year. But for the Broncos in general, they needed a real head coach, an experienced head coach to kind of help this team get out of the rut. And so we'll see if Sean Payton can work some of his magic in the Mile High City, much like he did down in New Orleans. 
Yeah, and so updated compensation as it comes from our NFL Network media uh, insiders, Ian Rappaport and Tom Pelissero. The Broncos sending a first-round pick this year. So their first-round pick here in 2023 is now headed to the New Orleans Saints along with a second-round pick in next year's draft. And then the Saints are sending the Broncos, not only Sean Payton, but a third round pick in the 24 draft. So three draft picks changing hands, two going from the Broncos this year's first, next year's second, and then the 2024 third round pick coming back to the Broncos from the New Orleans Saints. So there's your compensation. That'll be kind of interesting. So now the Broncos don't have a pick until the third round this year. They've only got four selections. So they've got their own um, they've got two thirds. They've got the Colts third and their own. They've got a fourth round selection, which is their own, a fifth. And then their uh, the Steelers pick in the sixth round belongs to the Broncos uh, as well. So um, interesting. Um, and this is the first round pick that they're trading actually was originally belonged to the San Francisco 49ers. 49ers traded it to the Dolphins in the trade to move up for Trey Lance. And then the Dolphins traded that pick to the Broncos in the Bradley Chubb trade. So it's changed hands quite a bit, but it's now uh, belongs to the New Orleans Saints. So um, that it look, uh, when you look at this from the Saints side of things, I think anything you got for Sean Payton was going to be a win, right? I mean, like he's not walking through that door again. So, I mean, like, and it's still, I mean, you get a first round, first and a second round pick out of it. So what you got to send a third back? Yeah. I mean, look, it's it's a win for the New Orleans Saints and it comes at the right time because this is a team that needs uh, assets, draft assets, draft capital to be able to rebuild the team. And so now Mickey Loomis and company will have an opportunity to do that. Dennis Allen will continue on as a coach and he'll be tasked with trying to figure out a way to help this team get back over the hump in that division for the Broncos. There's no price that would have been too expensive for them to land what we call a five-star head coach. And by all accounts, Sean Payton is a five-star head coach in terms of what he's been able to do, the consistency that he's been able to coach his teams at in terms of winning games and being able to always be in the conversation as a title contender. Uh, But now it's a different challenge because now it is one where he has to take uh, an aging quarterback and Russell Wilson, quickly identify what he can do, see the pieces around him, uh, make sure that those pieces are up to par and then find a running game while also making sure that the defense continues to perform at a high level. Um, easier said than done, but because he's done it before, you have confidence that he'll be able to do it again. And then uh, just uh, to kind of complete everything uh, fully for the New Orleans Saints, this is pick number 29. Um, so the Saints who did not have a first round draft pick because of the trade to move up last year and select Trevor Penning and Chris Olave, they now get their fir- a first round pick in this draft. It is number 29. Um, so with the San Francisco 49ers eliminated, they will pick right after the Cincinnati Bengals who are at 28, Saints at 29. And then, you know, we'll see what happens with the Chiefs and Eagles at 30 and 31. Uh, Okay, so almost happening simultaneously was the Houston Texans announcing their next head coach, one of their best players in franchise history, and comes over from the San Francisco 49ers as their defensive coordinator to now take the head coaching job. And Houston, D'Amico Ryans is once again a Houston Texan, but now as the head coach. So do you feel like the Texans finally got, like, their guy? after seemingly, you know, kind of going through a, a weird transitional period with David Culley and Lovey Smith these last two years? Well, I certainly hope so. And I certainly hope for D'Amico Ryan's sake that he got a long <laughs> deal 
Obi followed uh, Dan Campbell's blueprint and made them commit the five or six years. So we'd have an opportunity to really coach the team the way that he sees fit. And hopefully the Texans have learned some lessons along the way when it comes to picking a coach and making sure that they get their guy. Uh, I think it helps that Ryan's has ties to the organization. He understands a little bit how the organization works. Um, having been a player there for um, a long time and having had success as a player there, maybe he can kind of reconnect the franchise with the community um, by putting a good product on the field. And so he's a young head coach. I think it's going to be really important for D'Amico to make sure that he has experience on the staff as he's kind of navigating through and learning his way as a first-time head coach. But he's, he's a terrific strategist and tactician. We've, we've watched that uh, during his time with the 49ers as a defensive coordinator. But being a head coach is much different than being uh, a defensive coordinator. Uh, can he get the entire team and really the entire franchise headed in the right direction? Uh, that's a huge challenge considering how far this team has fallen after once really dominating this division for a handful of years on a Bill O'Brien. Yeah. Yeah, they sure did. And, and look, I, I mean, I think that this hire has been met very quickly um, and very broadly with almost universal like applause. You bring mm -hmm. one of the best players in franchise history, a guy who's now had a terrific track record as a coordinator these last couple of years, running one of the best defenses in football. But they also, you know, it's really good players over there. Um, mm -hmm. and, and the Texans now have that task in front of them. And that's Nick Casario's task as they go into this offseason, uh, both into the draft and free agency, is to can you continue to build personnel that can fit what D'Amico Ryans wants to do. I'll be interested to see what he wants to do. Like, is he going to stick with Colin defensive plays? I think that's always kind of one that's interesting when coordinators become head coaches and done such a great job with that in San Francisco. And what kind of offense is he going to bring in and what kind of quarterback mm -hmm. is going to fit that offense? And is it Bryce Young or is it CJ Stroud or... Mm -hmm. I don't know. Do they, they try to run it I back with even, Davis Mills? Well, wait a minute. I haven't even thought about that. It's too early to connect the dots, but where did Demico Ryan's play at? Alabama. Hmm. And Bryce Young played where? I believe he played at Alabama. Is there can we get and, an offensive and, coordinator from and, Bama too that's available uh, somewhere? And, hmm. And maybe Nick Saban was the coach for both of those guys, huh? Hmm. I, I think I believe the process. So. Yeah, process oriented, the way they go about their thing. I think they kind of may speak the same language when they get in the meeting. So, hmm, that's interesting. So now it just makes me think, like, yeah. can they find can they find an offensive mind that may have spent some time there? That would be the big thing. But I, I do think um, when it comes to the quarterback and all that, if um, they're obviously going to take a young quarterback, it's going to be really important for the Miko Ryans to put an infrastructure in place to allow the young quarterback to develop. The other part that I'm curious about, from his defensive background, what quarterbacks or what style quarterbacks does he believe gives opponents the most problems? You know, athleticism has Great been point. a bigger part of the equation when it comes to the quarterback position. Look no farther than uh, the guys that are playing in the Super Bowl, Jalen Hurts and Patrick Mahomes, both um, terrific athletes. What kind of athlete does he want to put in and in what style of offense? It was so successful for what the Niners did and the way that he complemented that with his defensive style. I'm sure he probably wants something similar, but who are the guys out there that can kind of help him put that together so he can have success? Because, you know, like it's time for the Texans to start winning. Um, fans, I'm sure, are becoming impatient yeah. uh, with all the losing. <laughs>
and this this feels like a home run, a, a hire that fans in Houston can really get behind with a guy that they love cheering for when he was on the field as a great linebacker in the NFL and for the Texans. All right, so we have two more vacancies now filled in Houston with D'Amico Ryans in Denver with Sean Payton after executing the trade with the New Orleans Saints to make him available. And so with Carolina hiring Frank Reich, that now means Arizona and Indianapolis are on deck in one mm. way, shape, or form, but um, they may have another dozen or two interviews to get through before, before then. They're being very thorough and very methodical in their process, and I don't, I don't mean to joke to, to poke fun, but look, I, I think it's great that they're taking their time, um, but it does feel like it has taken a lot of time, and they've gone yeah, through a lot of names. Yeah, it yeah. certainly has taken a lot of time. Uh, let's say this because uh, today, we, Frank Wright finally had an opportunity to talk to the media about Carolina and Dave Tepper. And there was a lot of conversation. We hadn't really talked about it, but I think the thing about Frank Wright going to Carolina, it's another similar situation. It's very similar to D'Amico Ryan's reconnect with a franchise that he's been a part of, know some of the inner workings of the team as it relates to the community, Uh, offensive minded coach, which has kind of been the theme uh, of the off season. David Tepper talked about that and how they wanted to do it. And then Frank Wright says something in his press where he talked about, you know, the league is kind of trending where the head coach doesn't call plays. And so it's interesting to have that offensive know-how, but not having the person who is kind of the expert apply that knowledge as the play caller. it will be very interesting to see how that plays out in Carolina. Frank Wright, who I'll say, like, Rhett, you may not know this, but Frank Wright threw me my first pass in the National Football League in a preseason That's game. That's my quarterback. <laughs> He's a quarter. He was a quarterback for the Buffalo Bills when we played, and he hit me on a little ten yard in, which I enjoyed in the preseason. One of the best guys that you can find, and so certainly I want to wish him a ton of success in Carolina. Uh, he'll have to do it differently because the first thing he has to do is kind of repair the locker room because there are a lot of guys that really love Steve Wilkes, and so how Frank handles that yeah, situation. The way that he talked about it, he talked about, look, it's a player's game. It's a player's league. We need to do it uh, where the players drive the ship, but the coaches are still running the team. It'd be interesting to see what he's learned from maybe those missteps in Indianapolis that led to an early dismissal where now he gets a second opportunity at it. How can he be a better coach the second go around as opposed to the first? All right. So that's where we're staying with the head coaching vacancies. Um, We have two head coaches here in Las Vegas. Well, three, really. Um, Obviously, the Las Vegas Raiders with Josh McDaniels heading in now into year two running this franchise actually had a chance to catch up with his old head coach. Bill Belichick, when the two were together in New England, spent some time out on the practice field at the Raiders facility today, watching the West team go through the practice, uh, first practice of the day here on this final practice day of the week before game time on on Thursday. So you had the Patriots staff. Um, and by the way, Belichick taking a, a little bit of a back seat here and allowing other coaches on his staff to elevate into that role. So Troy Brown gets to run the West team as the Patriots head coaching representative. And the thing that's different this year with the coaching staffs is unlike previous years where the senior bowl got full coaching staffs from the NFL that uh, is afforded to the shrine bowl this year. So the shrine bowl getting those full coaching staffs. So the Patriots running the West team, the Atlanta Falcons and Arthur Smith uh, running the East team. Uh, Arthur, again, as we mentioned, like Belichick kind of stepping back and allowing other 
guys on his staff to elevate into uh, other roles, you know, at, at all the coordinator positions and the position coaches as well, which is a great opportunity for these coaches. But it's a, it's obviously a huge opportunity for these players to be a part of Pro Bowl week here in Las Vegas, um, you know, to play on NFL Network and, and obviously to get to make another impression in a live game situation and in live practice situations in front of NFL teams, coaches, scouts and evaluators, uh, both in person and then on tape. And uh, Bucky, I know you, that you agree with me that all-star games are a great opportunity for us to evaluate players. Uh, teams look at it. I know it's a similar, a similar way to get to kind of be around guys, see what they're like. Uh, just give us a sense of like what this opportunity at East West here in Las Vegas means for these guys that are trying to make an impression. It's a huge opportunity. Uh, it's a job interview. It's one of several job interview uh, interviews that they'll have along the way during the pre-draft process. The thing about all-star games is it's an opportunity to see best on best, best guys taking on the uh, best guys from around the country to see who are the top prospects. And so it gives you an opportunity as an evaluator uh, to watch these guys against maybe better competition than they face during the regular season. How do they handle being in a new environment? How quickly are they able to adapt to a new playbook, learn uh, new techniques from coaches that are NFL coaches? All of that stuff matters. How do they handle the adversity that may come along in an all-star game where you're trying to deal with different quarterbacks and different play callers being asked to play different positions? How do they handle and navigate all those circumstances? And then what does their talent look like compared to the other talent from top prospects? It helps you gain a little clarity as an evaluator, but it never should replace what you saw from the regular season. But it is a big piece, a big part of the evaluation puzzle. Yeah. And so that's what we're doing here as we kind of prep for this game. Uh, again, coming to you Thursday night, 830 Eastern time on NFL Network. Uh, we start with the quarterbacks, as we always do in these games. You know, they touch the ball on every play and, and have an opportunity to really impact this game. Brock Purdy last year, kind of the shining example of what, you know, a quarterback playing in this game can do. What playing in this game can do for your evaluation, for your draft profile. And obviously found a great fit with the San Francisco 49ers. Now, there have been a couple of guys, a couple of quarterbacks um, you know, when you talk to people in and around this game, you talk to Eric Galko, who runs this game, you know, that that remind him not necessarily of Brock Purdy, the player, but of that type of quarterback that could make a similar impact for a team. And, you know, he mentioned guys like Dorian Thompson Robinson, mm -hmm. quarterback from UCLA, six year guy, Aiden O'Connell, six year guy at Purdue. Uh, they're playing on opposite teams, but they represent guys like Brock Purdy who played a ton of college football, know the game, see the game, can explain the game and, and can kind of, you know, put everything together out on the field and could have, you know, given the right fit and impact like that. Did DTR and Aiden kind of fit that bill for you as well? Yeah, they do fit the bill and make no mistake. People are certain, you know, it's a copycat league, right? And so the success that Brock Purdy had not only making a roster, but the success that he had as a starter has more scouts looking a little harder, a little deeper, a little closer mm -hmm. at some of the prospects that are here. Uh, you mentioned it, experienced guys. So I'm looking at DTR, 48 career starts college, significant playing time. And sometimes with experience brings a level of expertise when it comes to managing a huddle, managing teammates, de developing leadership skills that'll give you a chance. Is this game perfect? No, but Brock Purdy's game wasn't perfect. And the one thing that I will learn from the Brock Purdy evaluation, guys can improve from their last game of college until when they reach the NFL. They can take 
the opportunity in the offseason to get better. And that could make them uh, a player that is not only worthy of consideration as a draft pick, but it could make them worthy of consideration as a QB three that gets a chance to play. Uh, you know, in, in terms of the Purdue kid, it's, it's similar. You know, a lot of experience, a lot of expertise. And so you're looking for guys that can kind of fit that that mold as an experienced player who has enough reps to be able to get it. And make no mistake, Kenny Pickett also entered the league like that. Desmond Ritter also entered the league with a lot of experience. And we saw those guys, look, even though they had some early struggles, it didn't look too fast for them. Whereas guys like Malik Willis, who may, might not have had as much experience, struggled. I think that matters in the evaluation. I think people take those lessons and they apply them the following year. Yeah, and they're talking about a guy named O'Connell who's played, you know, 33 games, started 27 of them, really kind of had like a yo-yo type of career. But the the interesting thing for me is he started as like the seventh team quarterback when mm-hmm. he arrived as a walk-on to West Lafayette and then just kind of slowly got better and got better and improved as we're kind of talking about that theme uh, here, going back to, to what Brock Purdy was going from the college game to the NFL game. And O'Connell started the final three games of 2019. Um Got injured in 2020, missed all but three games, lost the starting job in 2021, uh, lost the competition to start the season, then came back in after the starter who won the competition began to struggle and then finished the year on a magical run, which ended in that crazy Music City Bowl uh, game against Tennessee in Nashville. He threw like five touchdowns and it was it was incredible. Um, And then, you know, came back for a sixth year and really had a a nice year. Second team, all Big Ten um, and ended up throwing, you know, actually only threw like 22 touchdowns. But, um, you know, just just had a really solid years and really accurate quarterback, I think, is is kind of the name of his game there. So the quarterbacks are really interesting. You'll hear some other names. Uh, Tanner Morgan, again, who's played a ton of football at Minnesota. Mm -hmm. Uh, Interesting one to follow Fordham. It'll probably be everybody's introduction to Tim DeMorat. Um, who is a phenomenally productive player on the FCS level. And then Illinois quarterback Tommy DeVito, who transferred in from Syracuse, will be a part of the game. And the name Chase Bryce will probably strike with a few people who follow the ACC and Clemson, uh, who kind of came in for an injured Trevor Lawrence during that national title run and helped secure a win that kind of allowed Clemson to stay in that national title hunt, which they ended up winning that year. He finished his career at Appalachian State. Um, So we'll have our eye on those quarterbacks. How about some other standout players outside of the QBs that you've uh, enjoyed watching here, Buck? Okay, man. You know, it's my guy, Keitrell Clark from Louisville, has been a standout performer. Uh, one of the best cornerbacks that I've seen uh, all year. And then watching him perform in practice, you can see why scouts are excited. Uh, you can see the movement skills, the instincts, the natural ability that he displays playing in the slot, which in my mind is the hardest position to play in the secondary because you have to not only be a part of the run game, but you're dealing with two way goals and, and, in the slot against these shifty guys. He has all that. Uh, he talked to the defensive coordinator of the squad and he just raves about his instincts, awareness, his toughness, and what he could be at the next level. Um, and speaking of the secondary, because, you know, the cornerback class might be the deepest, the most talented of all the ones that are here. Uh, Terrell Smith from Minnesota, long, yeah, rangy, big. athletic, yeah. big corner. Uh, when you see the success that the big, the young big corners had Tariq Willen, Sauce Gardner, those guys being able to hold their own on the perimeter. It encourages guys to look for more players and prospects in those modes. Those two guys to me really, really stand out in terms of Smith as a big corner and 
Clark as an experienced corner that can play in the slot. Yeah. Um, a couple of the guys that stood out to me uh, from the wide receiver group. I think, um, you know, when you're, when you're talking about guys who fit the, the profile uh, in terms of big physical receivers, talking about Justin Shorter from Florida who's made a ton of plays mm-hmm. this week. He'll be wearing number 84 in the game. And, um, you know, as a guy that didn't have a ton of production at Florida, but man, does he fit that profile? You know, he's kind of, been talked a little bit about in that DK Metcalf type of mm-hmm. body style, you know, big physical, obviously does not miss many days in the weight room. And then I just, I, you know, you love to see guys that look like that play like that too. And that's, that's kind of what he showed us a little bit today. I I'm really intrigued by Jake Bobo, uh, one year transfer from Duke to UCLA. And in this last year at UCLA, phenomenally productive. I thought he's been, he's been a favorite target of all the quarterbacks on the West roster this week. Uh, I think he's a guy that's going to make a ton of plays in this game, all over the place. And it kind of reminds me a little bit of, of Bennett's Karanik, um, who ended up with the Los Angeles Rams and, uh, is now playing mm-hmm. a ton for them in a lot of different roles. I think Bobo, you know, depending on how fast he runs, you know, could find his way, um, you know, into that high day three conversation. Um, if not, you know, maybe later on in day three or, you know, at worst, he's on somebody's roster as a PFA. But um, I think he's going to be a draftable player and, and a really, really good one at the next level. He's got everything it takes uh, for sure. Um, anybody else that's jumped out? Yeah, to you about, want to call out at this yeah, point? I mean, like, I, I know your ties and I know your affinity for the Big Ten, but how about Big Mo? Mo Ibrahim, when we think about running backs. Mo Ibrahim. And, yeah, running backs. Uh, Isaiah Pacheco did a great job of kind of putting himself in the spotlight. Great point. Uh, he goes to Kansas City, gets drafted late, but emerges as the starter. and has really given their offense an added dimension. You think about a guy with uh, the production that he's had, three 1,000-yard seasons. He had over 800 carries, which might be a lot. But, you know, one thing that he does have is what I'm looking for is competitive stamina in terms of being able to shoulder the load and do all those things. And when you, you just think about those kinds of guys, 53 touchdowns, very productive. He's someone to keep an eye on because running backs are not coveted or valued as first-round prospects because people believe you can find solid runners day two, day three. Keep an eye on him. He's someone who's very, very productive and also very effective. And one guy we'll certainly have our eye on is an edge rusher from Ferris State. Caleb Murphy registered 25 and a half sacks this year on the um, on the Division II level. He won the Gene Upshaw Award as the top offensive lineman, defensive lineman in Division II. Uh, He actually won the Ted Hendricks Award as the nation's best defensive end, and he was the first non- FBS player to win the award and in doing so setting the NCAA all divisions record. Nobody at any division has ever had more sacks in a season than Caleb Murphy's 25 and a half. So be curious to see how he's able to put that production to good use uh, on game night inside Allegiant Stadium and try to get after some of these quarterbacks. Uh, All right. I think, though, we both agree that the player that's going to go highest in the draft that's been here at Shrine Week has been Zay Flowers, wide receiver from Boston College. I know he's going to end up in DJ's uh, pretty high in DJ's top 50. um, And I'm sure he'll be in one of your top five receiver Mm -hmm. lists when you get your top five positional rankings out. He didn't practice on Saturday, practiced on Sunday here, which was day two of practice and won't do anything else for the rest of the week. And I I think, you know, even if he didn't play a down or a snap or rep this week was going to be very well thought of by the NFL talent evaluation community. And I'd be shocked if he's not the first player that 
went to this game here in Las Vegas uh, that gets drafted? Yeah, I would, I would expect to see him go pretty high. I mean, he's, he's a very talented playmaker. We've seen in recent years, the polished wide receivers have a tendency to jump in the league and have immediate success. He's an outstanding route runner. Uh, he's very creative and elusive with the ball in his hands in the open field. Uh, can play multiple spots, but I think he will probably project as a slot receiver. He just gets it. He has, he has the it factor that you look for. And in a wide receiver class where you may not have like that five-star premier playmaker that deserves to come off the board in the top 10, a team looking for a starting receiver with a specific skill set could fall in love with Zay Flowers because he's as polished as they come. Yeah, so that makes sense. Um, so, you know, Zay certainly feels, you know, like uh, he's no, oh, number 41 in DJ's top 50, uh, which came out today. So DJ will uh, definitely have much more on that as he joins uh, the pod again this week from Mobile. Um, and uh, as you look forward to that game on Saturday with Andrew Siciliano and Charles Davis. So looking forward to uh, kind of continuing to follow these guys. But I think, yeah, Zay Flowers will be up there in the draft. As you mentioned, Cottrell Clark from Louisville will be up there. Uh, when we talk about guys that get drafted from this game and then who knows, you know, maybe we see a few more uh, before this, uh, this day is done. But again, it doesn't, you don't have to get your name called early uh, when you're playing here in the shrine bowl game to still have an impact as both Isaiah Pacheco and Brock Purdy were seventh round draft picks Mm -hmm. coming from the shrine game and ended up making huge impacts for their teams as starters. And Isaiah Pacheco will still have that opportunity uh, as a running back for the Kansas city chiefs. Uh, okay, so that's going to do it here uh, from Las Vegas. Um, any other final thoughts here, Bucky, that uh, that you got after watching practices and getting ready for the game on Thursday? Everyone should tune in. This is a great opportunity for uh, yeah. you to kind of familiarize yourself with some of the young talent that's going to play in the league. Some of these guys that appear to be unheralded prospects now could really be key players for your teams in a year or two. Make sure you tune in. East West Frying Game. Red and I got you covered. Let's go. Having some fun out here uh, in Las Vegas. So, all right. Well, with that, I want to remind you that you, uh, again, can catch uh, kickoff of the Shrine Bowl, 8.30 p.m. Eastern time, only here on NFL Network. DJ and special guests will be back with another Move the Sticks podcast episode later in the week from the Senior Bowl. Certainly appreciate you tuning in. As always, for Bucky Brooks, I am Red Lewis. Thanks for listening to Move the Sticks. Introducing the first ever Grand Highlander, a mid-sized SUV with the ideal combination of space, performance, style, and advanced tech. The roomy Grand Highlander boasts three spacious rows with available seating for up to eight. It's available 362 horsepower. Hybrid Max powertrain on limited and platinum trims delivers the power, acceleration, and efficiency so your family can take on any adventure. There's even a standard digital key, a panoramic view mirror, and a 12.3-inch multimedia touchscreen so you always arrive on time. Live life grander in the first-ever Toyota Grand Highlander. Learn more at toyota.com slash Grand Highlander. Before Shopify, were you wondering, where are my sales at? Now you're selling with Shopify, the global commerce platform supercharging your selling. You have no problem selling online, in person, on social media, and beyond. Gary, easy on the cha-ching. <clears throat> oh, sorry, but my Shopify sales are through the roof. 
Start selling with Shopify today and discover how millions of businesses around the world use Shopify to ignite their selling. Sign up for a $1 per month trial period at shopify.com slash listen. Shopify.com slash listen.